Let's begin with Matthew 5, 33-37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that or this comes from evil. We're going to chop this text up into three parts. You shouldn't need to take an oath or swear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And thirdly, God swears by himself for our sake. Let's start with, you shouldn't need to take an oath or swear. Verse 33, Jesus, continuing in his sermon, says, Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, for those of you who forget easily like me, or you haven't been here for a while, remember that Jesus is not contradicting the Old Testament. More specifically, the first five books, the book of the Pentateuch, book in five parts, what Moses wrote. He's not contradicting that. When Jesus quotes scripture in the New Testament, he always prefaces that with this. It is written, or God said. So Jesus is not here directly quoting scripture. He's saying, you have heard that it was said. By who? Well, by the scribes, by the Pharisees, by the rabbis, the teachers of the law of Jesus' day. This was common teaching that the crowds and the disciples that Jesus called to himself would have heard. And so he's not saying, you've heard Moses say what I say. He's saying, this is what the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law say, and I am going to expand it. I'm going to tell you what Moses actually meant by what he said. I'm going to exposit Moses. That's what he's saying. So he's not contradicting Moses. He's not adding to Moses. He is giving the correct interpretation of Moses, and he's giving the correct big word, exegesis, of Moses. That just simply means what does the text actually mean to those who it was given? What is, does it actually mean? So we're not reading meaning into it. We're saying what did it mean actually by the person who either said it or wrote it? Okay? So, Jesus is here taking on Exodus 27. Now you know Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. And so what commandment is he referring to? Well, He's referring to the third commandment. Let's listen to it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He's also referring clearly to Leviticus 19.12. Listen to it. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God I am the Lord. 
And so Jesus is here saying, you've heard it was said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Jesus is going to now expand that. And he's going to say, verse 34, but I say to you. Okay, so the context is not swearing falsely, and it's not taking an oath. That's the context. So we're talking about, I swear by whatever. I swear to you. Jesus is saying, but I say to you, verse 34, do not take an oath at all. No. Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. I believe it's Isaiah uh, 61 that says both of these things, that heaven is God's throne. It's where it is, and earth is his footstool. Heaven is where God resides. It's his throne. It's where he rules from. And if you can imagine like a little uh, ottoman, God just kind of lounges on earth as his footstool. It's his to rule and reign over. If your foot is on something, you conquer it. You've seen it in movies and battles where they conquer it. They'll either stab the sword or cut the head off. It's a sign of conquer. Well, Jesus... God, the Holy Spirit, simply rests, like this is mine. This is not even a, a task to rule and reign over this footstool earth of mine. And Jerusalem is the city of the great king, the city of God, okay? holy Mount Zion. It's God's city. And so, here's what's going on here. The teachers of the law and Pharisees made it possible to keep the third commandment if they didn't use God's name directly. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, wait a minute. When you swear by heaven, and then you don't perform what you swore, you're still swearing by God, because that's his throne room. When you swear by Jerusalem, yeah, you may not be saying, I swear on God or by God. No, you may not be doing that directly, but do you realize that Jerusalem is the city of God? When you swear by earth, the earth is his footstool. And so you can't get around swearing by God and using his name in a way that is not honorable. Third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. When you swear by the holy things of God. In Matthew 23, Jesus is, you know, railing, if you will, on the Pharisees, hypocrites. And, and one of the things he rails on them about is this system of oaths, this system of, well, if we swear by this, it's not really binding, and if we swear by this lower thing, it's not really binding. And so there, there were ways to get around swearing but not fulfilling what you've sworn. You could get around your oaths. You could speak falsely and not be accountable to breaking the third commandment or the do not bear false testimony commandment. I believe it's commandment nine. So, here's Matthew 23. Remember, Jesus is denouncing, he's pronouncing woes. The woes in the Old Testament were by prophetic curses. Isaiah curses himself when he sees Jesus on his throne. He says, woe is me, for I am undone. Pronouncing a curse on himself as a prophet. So here's Jesus. Woe to you blind guides. Pharisees were 
teachers, they were the experts in the law, follow us, they would say, you blind guys, you who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. Swear by the temple, you break it, not a big deal. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Jesus is saying, you know, the, the temple was loaded with gold. Such that, remember when Jesus was leaving the temple? They were like, look at these great buildings. And Jesus prophesied, he says, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on the other. You remember that prophecy? Well, it was fulfilled when Titus came, came with his forces in and burned Jerusalem down. And when the temple burned, all that gold that inlaid the temple, all that gold that was in the temple melted in between the mortar. And to get the gold, they literally took brick off of brick off of brick off of brick. And Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled. And so he's saying, is it, is it the gold or the temple? He says, the gold's just gold. But because it's part of the temple, that's what makes the gold sacred. 18. And if you say anyone, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. So you can, you can say, I swear on the altar, and that's okay if you break it. But if you swear by the sacrifice on the altar, well, now you're bound. You blind men, verse 19, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Remember the Holy of Holies? God's manifest presence dwelling in Jerusalem among his people. Only once a year could the Holy of Holies be entered by the high priest to make atonement. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, by him who sits upon it. Heaven is his throne. He fills the heavens of heaven. And so Jesus is here saying, you don't get off from anything you swear on. It's all binding. And you've broken a massive amount of commandments, though you think you haven't and you teach others they haven't. So Jesus is expanding the interpretation of Leviticus 19 and Exodus 20. John Stott says this, Jesus eliminated the distinction between words that have to be true and those that do not need to be. For Jesus, all words matter. All of them. They all have weight. So you can't swear by one thing and it's allowed to be untrue because the object that you've sworn on is not as significant as God or the temple gold or whatever. The focus is on the surface for the Pharisees, the surface of the thing, the surface of the commandment. Jesus takes us to the heart of the commandment. The heart of the commandment is your words matter because they reflect you. When you bear false testimony, that's a expanded way of saying when you lie, you're showing that you're a liar. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah, I'm not a liar, I just lie. No, well, when you lie, you're a liar. Jesus said that these kinds of things come out of the heart. The heart is the center of you. 
And so if you're prone, some of us are more prone to lying than others. Like some of us, we have no problem with telling the truth. I just tell the truth. I don't have to hide anything. I just, I always tell the truth. And then some of us, we're such chronic liars that we lie. And then hours later, we're like, whoa, that wasn't even true when I just said to so-and-so. That's real. You're so in to lying that you're so practiced in it. It just flows out of you like your native tongue. Sounds a little like Satan, right? Remember Jesus said, when he speaks, he speaks lies, his native language. He's the father of lies. And so when we speak falsely or swear falsely, we're actually imaging Satan. Because it's his language we're speaking. And he was our father before God took ownership of us. Russell Moore said, our first birth father had names. Jesus does not prohibit vows, though. So by, by this, Jesus is not saying you should never, ever take a vow. You should never, ever swear. He's not doing that. And we know that he's not doing that because Paul takes vows. I'll show you in a minute. God himself takes vows. will be our last point. But John Calvin is helpful, as he often is. So listen closely to Calvin, just a few sentences. We need not go beyond the immediate context to obtain the exposition. Exposition means what exactly is being said here. When you exposit something, you're making it clear what is being said. John Calvin says, we, we don't have to go far. We don't have to go beyond the immediate surrounding verses to see what Jesus is exactly saying here. For he immediately adds, neither by heaven nor by earth, who does not see that those kinds of swearing were added by way of exposition? Calvin is saying that the reason Jesus said, do not take an oath at all, what do you mean, Jesus? Not at all. Ever? Never? No. He means by heaven, for it's the throne of God, by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. That's what he means. He immediately tells us what he means by, do not take an oath at all. It's right there. In the text, that's what Calvin's helping us with. Calvin was a masterful expositor. That's what he was. To explain the former clause, the former clause is do not take an oath at all, by fully specifying a number of cases. Here's what I mean when I said it, not at all. Okay, now to back up Calvin, like Calvin's a, a, an authority outside of the scriptures. We only need the scriptures, right? We don't need Calvin. I just like the way Calvin said that. So here's 2 Corinthians 1, 16 to 23. This is Paul. Now listen closely. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia. So Paul's on his missionary journeys, and he wants to stop at Corinth, the church he planted, and he wants to visit his people. While he was on his way to Macedonia, he wanted to visit. And come back to you from Macedonia, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Now when Paul says that, he says that to the Romans, do send me on my way, he actually means fund me. That's Paul's GoFundMe page. Send me on my way. Right? Because he says to the Romans, if I'm able to come to you by way of Spain, you can basically send me off. That's why some commentators actually think that Romans was a missionary support letter for Spain. 
That's an intense missionary support letter, boy. Woo! I've said, if you get Romans, you can have the whole Bible. It's the key that unlocks the rest of the, of the Bible. And so Paul says, I, I wanted you to send me on my way to help me. Was I vacillating? Now listen, was I vacillating? You know what that means? It doesn't mean he's rubbing Vaseline all over himself. Vacillating? No, it means back and forth, like waves in the sea, tossed back and forth. Was I back and forth? When I wanted to do, do I make my plans according to the flesh? According to me, without the power of the Holy Spirit? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Paul's appealing to that law of logic, like yes, can't be no, at the same time and in the same place. Can't happen. He says, well, my yes, yes, and no, no, is that, is that what I'm doing? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. So in Christ, we're always telling the truth. So he's, he's appealing to God is faithful, and in Christ, it's always yes. For all the promises of God, find their yes in him. That's one of our favorite verses in the Bible. That is why it is through him that we are to utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen means we agree, and it's for God's glory. Let it be. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now listen to this. But I call God to witness against me. He's swearing by God. I call God to witness against me. He's like putting his hand, not just on the Bible, but his finger right on God's name in the Bible. And he says this. I call on God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. And you remember that stinging 1 Corinthians letter, right? You remember it. He says there's, there's sexual immorality that's not even named among the pagans in your church, and you rejoice? Throw the man out, hand him over to Satan. My spirit is with you when I do it. And, and such were his commands in 1 Corinthians. And so he says, I wanted to spare you grief and to see me in anger and authority. That's why I, I didn't come. But he does call God as his witness. So here's Calvin again. Christ therefore meant nothing more than this. That all oaths are unlawful, which in any way abuse and profane the sacred name of God. For which they ought to have had the effect of producing a deeper reverence. So we are not to use God's name to back up something we say if it proclaims God's name. Ever. Because that's the issue. The issue is the weightiness of God's name. Verse 36. Jesus says, And do not take an oath by your head. For you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, Jesus said this before ladies could go to Walgreens and Target and, and Walmart and browse the one billion options of hair colors. 
Okay? This, is this is before that kind of technology existed. And what Jesus is saying here is, you don't have even the power to change your hair color. And in that day, you didn't. So, don't take an oath by your head. In other words, my life. Like you, you, you don't get to control even your life. Remember, Jesus says later in the Sermon on the Mount, what is your life? He says it in James, too. What is your life? James tells us in James 5.12 something very similar to this. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. See, the Bible is very consistent here. Let's look again. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Second point. Verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. John's thought says this. Listen to this. This is really insightful. Ready? Oath-taking is a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. What John Stott means by that is this. If you really have to say, look, I'm telling you the truth, I swear, you're already hinting that you're not telling the truth. Like if you're telling the truth, why do you got to swear and make this big deal about it? Look, I swear, bye. Like, why not just tell us that you'll do it or you won't do it or that you didn't do it. Like, why do you got to swear and make all these large language additions? John Stott says it's a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty when we start making these elaborate books. It's interesting. It's insightful, isn't it? We need to be, this is us as Christians. Okay, so listen, here's some massive application for us, especially us as a church. We need to be a counterculture to the world. When the world looks in on the church, and especially this church, guys, we need to be so straight up, transparent, real, and honest, and listen, consistent, that when we say we're going to do something, we just come through every time. And when we say we're not going to do something, we just come through every time. And practice after practice after practice after time after time proven. All we got to do is say yes or no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But see, when we start having to back up what we're saying with all this extra stuff, it just proves we're probably not going to come through. Our integrity should be so apparent over the long haul, over a long period of time. You know what integrity is? It's that you're honest. It's that you're real. It's that it's a matter of character. It means that what you are in the dark is the same as who you are in public. Like if you broke on, broke in on me with a uh, you know like a spy cam, like a drone with a with a camera, and you broke in on me and I was all by myself, you wouldn't be like. Because I'm the same person on the stage as I am when I'm at home by myself with 10 computers, full access to the internet. You wouldn't be like, oh, what's he looking at? Integrity and character is you're consistent 
throughout your entire practice. You're not one person here and one person hanging out with your Christian friends and then you're a whole other person that we would be shocked at around other people. But who is that? And when we have that kind of consistency in our character over the long haul, there's no need to take an oath. There's no need to swear. There's no need to make this elaborate speech about trying to back up what we just said. No, because we're so consistent all the time that we come through all the time. When we say no, we mean it. And it's like, okay. You don't have to tell me twice. Now, we fall really short, don't we? Like, while I was preparing this, God reminded me graciously that about a month ago, I told some guy that I would send him a whole mess of CDs out in California. He found us on the internet or something, and he's like, man, I love your music, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, I got a ton of them, I'll send them to you. Never send them. Condemned. Don't we do this all the time? We, I'll do that, I'll be there. I'll be there at this time, I'll be there. And then we don't show up, and we totally forgot, and we're like, where were you? Oh, we need help. Okay, so, so here's just some real practical help. Maybe you've overcommitted. Maybe. Like, you know what the root of overcommitment is? And I know because I used to be the most overcommitted person on the face of the earth. It's that you want to please everybody. Like, you'll commit to anything anyone asks you because you don't want to let that person down. And so you'll literally book three to four appointments at the same time and in the same place. And now you're like, oh, I told so, 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 and so that I'd be there and I can only pick one. Now you've got to be inconsistent. Why? Maybe not because you don't really love them or because you're a horrible person. Maybe just because you're not organized. Or, worse than maybe you're not organized, maybe you're a people pleaser and you have a fear of man issue that displays itself in overcommitment. You know that overcommitment, the root of that sin, and I'll call it a sin because if stuff's falling off your calendar left and right, and you're like, I'm just too committed, well, that's probably a sin. And you know what the sin is? It's that you probably have a fear of man and you won't tell people enough. Why? Because you don't want to displease them. And in one sense, that's noble, right? Like, we want to help people. We want to, we want to do everything we can to help everyone we can. But listen, we're not God. And that's what I had to realize. Like, I remember talking to some pastors who I've never met before. I was praying for this guy. He was praying for me. He was asking me about our network. And he literally said to me, first time a guy ever met me on the phone, he was like, you know, bro, you're not the Savior. And I was like, you're right. And I received it. Because I was really, I was telling him how busy I was and how hard things were and all these people. And he's like, you're not the Savior. He wasn't saying to me. He was helping me. And it helped me to realize, I'm not. I don't got to save you and you and you and you and you and you and them. I can't. So are you overcommitting? Maybe one, because you're unorganized. Maybe two, because you're overcommitted. Why? What's underneath that? Maybe you have a fear of man issue. I'm not going to take hands, but is that the issue? Maybe you're forgetful and you simply just need to eat some ginkgo biloba. Like you need to Google superfoods for memory. 
So your yes can be yes and your no can be no. We don't make it a joke. It's a joke. Relax. Thankfully, Jesus in our place was consistent every day of his life from the time he got up to the time he went to bed. Every time Jesus said yes, he came through on the yes. Every time Jesus said no, he came through on the no. For you and for me. Praise Jesus. His righteousness is ours in this area. But listen, don't you want to get better? I do. Like, I, I hate when people text me, like, you said you would, and I'm like, oh, I totally forgot. Why? Because, well, you were texting 18,000 people at the same time, and that text is down at the bottom of your phone list, and you totally forgot, and you said you would be there, and now you're not. Now I'm not organized. That's the problem. So, so there's some practicalness to this, isn't there? It's not just that maybe you're a horrible person in your character, which that may be the case. And the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, will work on you. Isn't that the good news of the gospel? Is that he doesn't leave us where we're at, yet he says, come a little bit further. Come a little bit further. Come a little bit further to the image of Christ, who is always consistent. And so tonight, if, if you're that person, Jesus is simply inviting you to take another step. Isn't that good news? He doesn't say, I condemn you for your inconsistency and your horrible character. No, what he says to you is take another step. You're mine. I've lived in your place. You're righteous in me. Take another step. And I don't know what that step is for you tonight. But listen, when we commit, let's commit. And if we can't commit, let's just say no. Let's be consistent people. Like, I want to do better. I, I pray about this often. Let's, let's be better. Let's let our yes be yes and our no be no by the power of the Holy Spirit. Third point, God swears by himself for our sake. This is beautiful. And so God, all through the Old Testament, swears by himself. Not like alone by himself, but on himself. The reason is, there is nothing higher than God and so for God to swear on anything would be lesser. We always, when we do swear or take an oath, we take an oath on something greater than ourselves. And like we put our hand in the Bible and swear to tell the whole truth. Hebrews 6, 13-20. The writer of Hebrews is so helpful for us here. He's showing us about God fulfilling and coming through on his promises. So really, that, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about making promises and fulfilling the promises. Did you know that when you say yes to the opposite sex in marriage, you made a vow, you made an oath, you made a promise? So, so it's obvious that Jesus doesn't mean don't ever take an oath, ever. No, there are some times you should take an oath. You should swear before God and before witnesses when you say, I do. And then by the power of God, you keep that. Not by your own strength. For when God made a promise to Abraham, so we're talking about a promise here. Since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Saying, quoting Genesis 22, 17, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. 
And this helps fill this out. Genesis 22, what was happening in that text was Jesus, or I'm sorry, Abraham was about to sacrifice his only son, the son whom he loved, Isaac. And you remember, he was about to plunge the knife into his son, and God gives a substitute, the ram caught in the thorns. And he's about to plunge the knife in, and wait, stop. And the writer of Hebrews pulls out from that, surely I will bless you and multiply you, as a response to Abraham's obedience, and stopping his obedience. Stop. As a response, he says, surely I will bless you and multiply you. When Abraham was willing to offer up Isaac, that's when that happened, and thus, verse 15, Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. What's the promise? Well, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know that inside that promise to Abraham, he says, in you all the nations will be blessed. That was a promise of Jesus. Paul tells us this in Galatians. That that was the gospel preached beforehand to Abraham. That the seed of Abraham, not seeds, but seed, the one, the seed of the woman in Genesis 3, would be the one to bless all the nations. Revelation, we see this fulfilled. There's every tribe, every tongue, every language around the throne singing. Glorifying God. So he waited patiently and he obtained. He believed God's promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, let's stop. When God makes an oath, here's what you need to know. God doesn't need to back up his word. He's actually increasing our faith. That's what he's doing. When God swears on himself, he's not saying, there's a possibility that I could fall back on what I'm saying. He's, he's increasing our faith, our trust. That's what faith is. How do you know that? Well, because listen to the next verse, 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, what are the two things? The promise and the oath. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He switched it on us. Now listen. Here's what he said. He said, there's two unchangeable things that God increases our faith by. There's a promise, and then there's the oath. It's impossible for God to lie. Now we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Where do we go for refuge as Christians? This is Hebrews. This is post-resurrection. Where do we go for refuge? Jesus Christ. He is our refuge. And the promise is, is that when we go to Him, we are safe. That's what refuge is. It's, you're looking for safety. Safety from what? Well, safety or refuge from sin, from Satan, from death, from God's just judgment of our sin, and from hell. We go upon promise, believing 
that when we go to him for refuge, his death on the cross will pay for our sin. Now, how do, how do we know he's talking about the refuge of the gospel here? Because of the next verse. Verse 19, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. You know what an anchor does? When a ship is in water and it puts down this massive heavy weight and that weight hits bottom, what does that do to the ship? It holds it. It holds it there. And even if a storm comes, it, it might be tossed back and forth, but the anchor holds the ship steady in the storm. Or just as it's sitting there. And so we have an anchor for what? For our souls, our eternal souls. Now before the, the second coming of Jesus, the great resurrection, remember John 14, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Before that great resurrection, if we, die, if we all die tonight, I'm going a dark thought, but listen, if we're all Christians, our souls or our spirit, I think it's the same thing, our soul or our spirit goes to be with God. And all of a sudden, we're hanging in the presence of Abraham sitting there playing checkers with John Calvin. Wouldn't that be cool? Both of them big beards, like soul beards, just hanging, playing checkers. Our souls go to be with God. And listen, at the great resurrection, our bodies are reunited with our souls. But for now, we have a soul refuge. A soul refuge, an anchor for the soul. Where, listen, where is it? Well, it's this. The hope that enters into the inner place between behind the curtain. Now, what, what is the writer of Hebrews talking about? Where was the curtain and the inner place? Bible students. The temple, right? The Holy of Holies was a perfect cube inside of the temple, and it was cube, it was it was barred by this massive curtain. And only one person could go behind that curtain and listen only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And what was going on on that day? It was the high priest would go in and he would make sacrifice and atone for the people's sin by the blood. We know from this text that Jesus is the great high priest who enters the Holy of Holies. He goes inside the curtain. Listen to Hebrews 4, 14. Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession through the heavens. You see, the manifest presence of God on earth was the Holy of Holies. The presence of God. Heaven is where he dwells. Now, we don't know where heaven is. We imagine it past the galaxies, billions and billions of galaxies. But really, Wayne Grudem helps us. He says it could be as far as our atmosphere where the clouds are. It could be that close. And he gives arguments that it actually is. Like Stephen looks up and he sees Jesus. He's close enough to see him. Maybe. I don't know. It's interesting to think about that heaven could be that close. And if earth, out of all the billions of galaxies, listen closely, if earth out of all the billions of galaxies is the center point of history 2,000 years ago, where God would himself 
go? Why would we think it's so far away in the galaxy, far, far away? What if it was right in our atmosphere and we just don't have the eyes to see it? Like every time we see angels in the Old Testament, aren't they here? Aren't the sky full of them when Jesus appears? Maybe the sky is full of them all the time and God just has to open our eyes. Elijah saw the hills lit up with angels. His servant, Elisha, didn't see him, and he just prayed. The Lord opened his eyes. They were there, he just didn't see him. Could it be? I don't know. It's interesting to think about. So Jesus goes through the curtain of heaven into the presence of God for us, and where he makes intercession for us. You see, Jesus, as we know, was the high priest who made the final sacrifice of atonement. And the promise is, that is an anchor for our soul, is that when we find refuge in him as our high priest, who, yes, makes the sacrifice, but listen, he sacrifices himself as the sacrifice. So he is the high priest who enters into the Holy of Holies to make the sacrifice, but he's also the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, Revelation tells us. John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover Lamb. So Jesus is the high priest who makes the sacrifice, and he's the sacrifice of atonement itself. And now, he is that great high priest. The, the writer of Hebrews later tells us, in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. And Melchizedek's a whole other sermon. It's very complicated. But when... Abraham took Lot back, he gave tithes to the most high priest of Salem, Melchizedek. And Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron. Let's together do this. Okay? I think some of us need to ask God in these moments, one for forgiveness, for not being consistent, because your yes is actually no, and your no is often yes. So, so I think we need to talk to God and say, please forgive me. Like, I didn't even think about this until this text. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. If you got to try to back up what you're saying to make people believe you, it just means we probably shouldn't believe you. Yet it's not always wrong to make an oath at the same time. So we want to have this balanced perspective here. God swears by himself. And that promise that he swears on is our refuge. Paul calls God as his witness. He swears on God. But at the same time, we need to be so consistent in our character that we need not take oaths. Do you hear, do you hear what I said? So it's not that we never take an oath, but we need to be so consistent in our character that we need not take oaths. It's just when Eddie says he's going to do something, I know he's going to do it. Because Eddie's consistent. When Eddie said he's not doing something, I believe him. Because Eddie's so consistent. Our yes is our yes. Our no is our no. It's always consistent. God is going to make us those people. Isn't that exciting? We're going to be those people if we're not yet. But can we talk to God about where we're at now? And say, I need some help. Help me. And then together, let's thank Him. Let's thank Him that all of our inconsistency is covered. When our yes has been no, and our no has been yes, 
or we've sworn and still dropped the ball. You've been there. Well, guess what? The body and the blood were broken for that. It's good news that we're not sitting in condemnation, though we're rightly condemned. So let's, let's pray now. Not out loud, but I want to take just two minutes, three minutes, and, and have you pray. And you need to talk to God about what's going on in your heart and what he's speaking to you about. And, and then in those moments, ask for power to take that next step. I don't know what the next step is. For me, I've got to send those CDs tomorrow. And who knows, maybe it'll remind me of some other stuff I said I do that I haven't done. And if I told you I'd, I'd do something for you, I'm sorry. Like it's in your mind right now. Come tell me. And I'll hopefully, by God's grace, make it right. Okay, so let's ask for his help. And then together, after we pray and ask for forgiveness and ask for his help, let's celebrate that we're, we don't have to sit in condemnation. We can walk in the light as he is in the light. And he's inviting us to take another step. Take another step. Let's pray.